Good morning and good Lord's Day to you. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Thank you, Brother Ben, for leading us uh, so well. The Lord guides us through his scriptures. So let's start reading a portion, 1 Peter 3. Please turn with me to 1 Peter 3. Short reading there from 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 18. 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 18. Here we go. 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. In which also he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience awaited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves us, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and as a, is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject uh, to him. From this passage, we want to consider the subject of baptism this morning and some key words associated with baptism. Baptism and some key words associated uh, with baptism. There are plenty of reasons to study the subject of baptism at any time. First of all, it is definitely a Bible topic. It's definitely a Bible subject. The word baptize or baptism is found about 113 times in the New Testament. So it's not a subject that we have created. It's not something brought to earth by us. Rather, God has brought it uh, to us. Also, another reason to study this subject is because there's such a misunderstanding of the subject. Uh, many religious teachers and, and pastors across the land have, have misused the passages concerning baptism and have perverted the teachings of our God. And then another great reason to study this subject is because there are some even here this morning who need to obey God and need to be baptized properly according to the Bible. It's a very important topic and it's a very important thought to obey God in baptism. Another great reason to, to study this topic is because uh, the Lord charges us to go and teach all nations about these types of subjects, about salvation, about about baptism. One of the great reasons to study baptism is because it's just fun. Because it's, it's one of the subjects that's so clearly taught that it's just fun uh, to notice and to think about. And so notice here some key words with me this morning that helps us come to a better understanding of baptism. The first word is the word immersion. Immersion. Baptism is and immersion. 
and immersion. We know this because of just the plain definition of baptism. Baptism means to dip and to plunge or to immerse, to submerge. That's the meaning of baptism. One passage to look at is Luke 16 and 24. Luke 16 and 24, this is Jesus giving us the afterlife scene and the rich man had died and gone, gone to torments and he's suffering there. Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom and the rich man said, Luke 16, 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and allow, allow Lazarus to go and to dip the end of his finger in water and come and cool my tongue because I am in anguish in this flame. Now, be good for us to study the idea of heading to hell because the rich man is heading to hell and he's already in anguish. But look what he asks. He says, what, what about this thought? What about Lazarus going and dipping the tip of his finger. The word dip there is our word baptize. That's our word baptize. It means literally to plunge, to dip, to submerge, to immerse. So we see this from just a plain definition. Also in the scriptures, the idea of a burial. Baptism is, is uh, often looked at as a burial, which tells us that it's also immersion. Colossians 2, verse 12, for instance. Colossians 2 and verse 12, Paul says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which also we have been raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. But notice in that passage, Colossians 2 and verse 12, that baptism is a burial. And then baptism is an immersion, and we know this because of just common sense. Common sense. Let me show you something from Mark 1 and verses 4 and 5. Mark chapter 1 and verses 4 and 5. And just using common sense. This is talking about John baptizing people for the remission of sins. Verse 5 says that, that Mark 1 verse 5 says that all of Jerusalem and Judea were coming out to him and, notice this closely, and were being baptized by John in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Being baptized by him in the river. Now suppose you just replace the word baptize with the word pour, as if you're pouring water. In that sentence there, in that phrase, in Mark 1 verse 5, if you just replace baptize with the word pour, you would have this reading. So they were coming to him and being poured by John in the river. That doesn't make sense, does it? John's not melting people and pouring them into the river. Okay? He's, he's baptizing them. He's immersing them. He's plunging them in the water. Okay? Or, still in Mark 1 verse 5, suppose you, you replace baptize there with the, the word sprinkle. So, so read it like this. And so they were coming to him and were being sprinkled by John in the river. Being sprinkled by John in the river. And that doesn't make sense at all. 
John's not doing uh, the act of cremating here. He's simply immersing people. He's plunging them uh, in the water. And so our first word here to understand baptism is the word immersion. Baptism is an immersion. This is trouble sometimes. It's trouble. But we go to the trouble to baptize as God tells us to baptize because this is what uh, God says. Years ago, we had a man who had not been attending uh, the congregation's uh, services and it had been really tough uh, to find any spiritual interest in him at all. He's, he um, was the husband of one of our faithful members. Okay. But he was getting older and he, he got really sick and the, the end of his life was at hand. And finally he decided that he wanted to be baptized. We made arrangements. He could barely walk. He could barely walk. He could barely get up steps. But we went to the trouble to get him up the steps and into the water. It took his doctor. It took me. It took Brother Mike Nix and two or three others to help him up the steps and down into the baptistry. When we got him into the baptistry, he was so sick, we weren't sure how we were going to immerse him. And so we decided to sit a folding chair into the water onto the bottom of the baptistry and he sat in the chair and then at the point of, of his baptism we, we were able to get the chair out from under him and we immersed him. And then the two of us brought him back up. Why all that trouble? Why, all, why not just sprinkle him with some water or, or pour some water on him? Because the Bible says that baptism is an immersion. Our second word this morning is comparison. Comparison. Right here in 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21, notice a comparison. Baptism is compared to the days of Noah. Verse 20, 20 says that eight souls were saved by water. Through water they were brought uh, to safety. And Peter, by inspiration, compares that event to water baptism uh, today. In fact, he uses the phrase here in verse 21, the light figure, or uh, some say a true likeness, or the, the English, English Standard Version I just read out of says, uh, our baptism corresponds to the, uh, the events of Noah's day. I like light figure. I think it explains it just, just fine. The light figure. The light figure. You see, salvation of Noah's day was the figure. And baptism, our salvation that is at the point of baptism today is the reality. See, Noah's salvation Eight souls saved by water, that was the figure. And salvation today at the point of water baptism is the reality. I was thinking of it this way. On different occasions, we, we move, we'll move the communion table here for an event. Sometimes we'll move the podium for an event. And when you move these items, it leaves an indention in the carpet. 
And then later when you move the atoms back, it's real easy to see where these atoms were before because the indention is still there. Okay. So the indention is the figure and then the actual leg here of the table, it, it is the reality. Okay. And so that indention can picture Noah's day. They were saved by water from the, from the flood. Okay. And then that corresponds to water baptism today. That corresponds to the leg of the communion table. Okay. In other words, that indention left in the floor is like a pattern. And then we're able to place the table back where it goes because we fit the, the substance to the pattern. Okay. So the floodwaters of Noah's day is the pattern and then the, the baptism for the remission of sins today is the substance uh, that, is, that matches that pattern. It sits right down on top of that pattern. And so Peter makes here a comparison. And here's the comparison. Just as the floodwaters in Noah's day transported the people in the ark to a, to a new and cleansed world, even so today, even so today, the waters of baptism transports sinners from the world into Jesus Christ. And we can go just about uh, a little further with that. When you go back to Genesis and start reading about, about the coming flood, God, according to Genesis 6 verses 5 and 6, God saw the wickedness of the earth. And he saw that the people's imaginations of their hearts were only evil continually. Genesis 6, 5 and 6. Genesis 6, verse 11. God saw the wickedness and the violence on the earth. And so because he saw this, he brought the, the floodwaters to bear upon the earth. Even so today, we are sinners. God sees our sin. Therefore, he has brought the waters of baptism to help us uh, today, to help cleanse us of our sins. You might look at it this way. In Noah's day, God saw the wickedness and then he sent the water and by that process, he saved Noah's family. Even so today, God sees our wickedness he sent the waters of baptism. He brought them. 113 times he teaches about baptism in the New Testament. He has brought the waters and he saves us through these waters. God saw, God sent, God saves. And so there is a comparison here that is clearly made. Our third word this morning is the word salvation because 1 Peter 3 21 says, the light figure whereunto even baptism does also, does also now uh, save us. Save us. Notice that. The idea of salvation is a deliverance. Is a deliverance. You might recall way back in the book of Exodus uh, chapter 14 that God's people were being brought out of Egyptian bondage. And they come to the Red Sea. 
And Moses said, Exodus 14, 13, Pharaoh's army was pursuing, but Moses said, Exodus 14, 13, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you on this day. And he did. And he did. The salvation there was a deliverance from Egyptian bondage. Even so today, salvation is a deliverance from the bondage of sin. Of sin. Peter says, baptism doth also now save us. Those words are very powerful. Does also now save us. I want us to focus for a minute on the three words, now save us. Now save us. You see, when you read that, that puts us in the proper time frame. Time frame. When we discuss salvation today, we are discussing a time frame. We are discussing the fact that Jesus has now died. He's been buried, raised from the dead, ascended up on high, and he has already established his church. Notice in Peter's context here, we just read 1 Peter 3, 18. 1 Peter 3, 18. Notice in 1 Peter 3, 18. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You see that? And so the discussion here, when you discuss salvation, the discussion is not about, not about what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. It's not about what God did for the Old Testament heroes. As inspiring as that reading is, when it comes down to salvation today, that's not the discussion. The discussion is, what does God say to us in this time frame? Notice how Peter brings it to us. He says, baptism doth also now save us. Now, Peter, now, after Jesus has suffered the righteous for the unrighteous, now, now this saves us. What saves us? Baptism doth also now save us. God has done many wonderful works in the Old Testament, which is for our encouragement. But now we're on this side of the cross. Now we're on this side of the resurrection. Now we're on this side of the ascension. Now we're on this side of the establishment of the church. Okay. So these words set us in the proper time frame. These words also put us in the proper mindset. Mindset. Peter declares, you are now saved. If you've been baptized for the remission of sins, you are now saved and you continue to be saved. We can know that we are with God because we have obeyed what he has said to do. We can know that we're with God and that he is with us. It puts us in a confident frame of mind. Not an arrogant confidence, but a thankful confidence, but a confidence nonetheless. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 8 in verse 1, there is therefore now, notice the word now there, there is therefore now, Romans 8 verse 1, there is now, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, 
for the law of the spirit of life has made me free, has set me free in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. You see that? Now, now, baptism declares I am now saved. I continue to be saved. I'm on the side of the Lord. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3 and verse 27. For as many of you who have been baptized into Christ have now put on Christ. They've now put on Christ. So Peter declares that we're in Christ when we've been baptized. Being in Christ, we've been set free from the law of sin and death. So it puts us not only in the proper time frame, but it also puts us in the proper mindset. Baptism doth also now save us. This puts us in our proper place. Proper time frame, proper mindset, proper place. Notice what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. He says, you know, if you've been baptized, then you're among God's people. Notice what he says in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. He says, verse 10, I should say, 1 Peter 2, verse 10. He says, now, at one time, you were not a people of God. But now, you are a people of God. You are the people of God. At one time, you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. You see the power of the word now? Okay. Now, now puts us on this side of the cross. Now gives the assurance that we're in Christ. Now tells us that we're a part of the people of God. We are where we are as Christians. We are where we are because baptism has put us there. So I wanted us to see the idea of salvation. Salvation. Immersion, comparison, salvation. The next word is sanitation. Sanitation. You know what sanitation means? It means sort of the, you know, the process of, of um, making a place free from, from contamination. It makes a place free from, from dirt, from, from infection, from disease. And you do that by, by removing waste, removing trash, removing garbage, contamin, contamination. So there's the idea of sanitation. sanitation. Notice how Peter talks about it here in 1 Peter 3. 21. It's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. It's not, it's not the removal, the actual physical removal of dirt uh, from the physical body. Okay. But there is something here that is dirty. What is that? It's, Peter says it's not this. It's not just a physical dirt removal from the physical body. But something else has been defiled. What is that? Well, he goes on to say it's the answer of a good conscience. Sin defiles the conscience. This is actually said in, in Titus 1 in verse 15 and 16 that, that sin defiles both, both the mind and conscience. See, it, it, it defiles, it, it spots up the soul. It dirties up the soul. You see, Paul 
mentions a goal there in, in 2 Corinthians 7, 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 and 2. He says our goal is to uh, be cleansed from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. So notice that sin can defile the flesh and spirit. What we do in our body can be sin, and then that defiles the soul, flesh and spirit. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 11, that the fleshly lust, we need to abstain from those, abstain from fleshly lust that war against the soul. What we do in the body can affect the soul. It defiles the soul, defiles the mind, defiles the conscience. And Peter is teaching us here that baptism can cleanse that conscience. Okay. But we don't do this on our own. Okay. Very important here that we, we stop and we in bold print that we underline, that we understand that we don't make this, we don't, that we're not on our own here. We're relying on our, on our Lord. The picture here, we think about sanitation, what Peter said. The picture here is, is of dry, caked on dirt. Dry, caked on mud. And we've all had that on the bottom of our, our shoes, bottom of our boots, and the removal of that. How do you get that off? Okay. Well, you, you beat it off or you ply it off, you chisel it off. Somehow it's got to come off or it's going to come into the house. That's the kind of removal he's talking about here, except he's talking about spiritually. Okay. Sin, as we are in sin, it gets caked on our soul. Just as dry mud, we get caked on our shoes, so sin gets caked on our soul. And how is that removed? Well, Peter is teaching here that baptism is a part of that process that removes that filth, removes it. So think about sanitation. Have you thought about the fact that God is in this sanitation business. Have you ever worked in sanitation? I found that that was some of the most enjoyable work I've ever done. When I, back when our kids were just babies, I did part-time work at a local uh, middle school and high school. was not teaching. I was cleaning. I cleaned all day long especially after school, okay. in the restrooms and in the classrooms. Do you think kids can leave a mess in those places? Some of the most enjoyable work I ever did. Some of you are thinking right now, why don't you go back and start doing that work again and we wouldn't have to look at you and listen to you. Well, that may be coming. But God through us is in the sanitation business because as we teach properly the salvation from heaven, then that helps people see that first of all, 
their soul is defiled. And secondly, God can help you uh, to get it cleansed. The next word is the word interrogation. Interrogation. See what Peter says here in 1 Peter 3.21. He says it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but he says it's the appeal to God for a good conscience. Good conscience. The word appeal here is very interesting. It actually means interrogation. There's actually two parts to it. It's the interrogation and it's the answer. So step back a minute and think about someone getting in interrogated. Okay. They're, they're, they have violated some law and so some officials are interrogating them. They are questioning them. Maybe there's a bright light or something, you know, uh, what we've seen on TV. But they, they're question, questioning them. They, they have some heavy, intense questioning being thrown at them in order to get some information out of them. So the more they interrogate, finally, the answer comes. And the violator may not only answer and give them information, but he may appeal for mercy. That's the ideal here in Peter's explanation of baptism, interrogation. Okay. We are under God's scrutiny. Okay. And... We're under his spotlight. And we, when we read in his word, we see our condition. His scrutiny and his spotlight shows that we are sinners. He's got us. Okay? And we see that. And as we see that, we have a bad conscience. And God knows that we need some sort of answer to give, some sort of appeal for mercy to make toward him. And he's telling us here that we appeal to him through the waters of baptism. Okay. And how do we go from a bad conscience to a good conscience? Well, it's through God's salvation process. He's got us dead to rights. Okay. His interroga interrogation... His questioning, His word, His scrutiny over us, over us, His spotlight over us shows that we are indeed in trouble. We have a bad conscience. But He says, by responding in baptism, that can be your appeal. That can be your answer to get yourself out of this predicament. Now again, we don't make this appeal on our own. It's impossible for us to make this appeal except through Jesus Christ. Now be turning your Bibles quickly over to Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9 in verse 14. And notice there a very, very important statement that, um, that is parallel here to 1 Peter 3, 21. Hebrews 9, 14 talks about the blood of Jesus, how it was offered for our sins. But as the blood of Jesus is offered for our sins, here's what it does for us. It purifies our consciences. It uses the word conscience there. Peter uses the word conscience here in 321. The Hebrews writer there, Hebrews 9:14 says, "The blood of Jesus purifies our conscience from dead works so that we can serve a living and true God." Okay? What are the dead works? Well, the works of sin, 
the works of human philosophy, the works of pride, the works of tradition, the works of the old law, you just name it, all the works of sin. Well, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from these dead works to create within us a good, clean conscience. Okay. But part of the process of responding to the death of Jesus and his shed blood is, as Peter says, by making the appeal in baptism. Jesus shed his blood so that we can humbly respond to his will. And when we do, the blood of Jesus is applied to our soul. Okay. Notice here very carefully this, this important fact. Prior to being baptized, one does not have the good conscience. Okay. Notice that very carefully. Prior to his obedience, one is still suffering with a bad conscience. This is very plainly taught in 1 Peter 3 and 21. So notice the idea of interrogation. And then the word resurrection. Because if, as you're reading there in 1 Peter 3 21, notice that Peter says all this happens by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven on the right hand of God. Resurrection. None of this works None of this even matters if it not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay. Just one quick reference here. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, if, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain and we are yet in our sins. None of this happens or even matters if Jesus indeed was not raised from the dead, but he was raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, Now it is a fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Therefore, since he's been raised from the dead, he is the Son of God. He is Christ the Lord. And therefore, we must be, be baptized. What propels us? What is the fuel that drives us to pay close attention to what God says here? The resurrection of Jesus. Now, I told you this was fun. Okay. I can tell you're having just a wonderful time. But notice here in 1 Peter 1.3 and 1 Peter 3.21. Notice this comparison real quickly. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says, According to God's great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, hope, notice it there, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice how closely that compares to 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21. 1 Peter 3, 20 talks about God's long-suffering and patience. 1 Peter 3, 21 says that we are uh, baptized and that saves us and this happens by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter, by inspiration, is showing us that the way to be born again is through faith and baptism. This doesn't happen except through the resurrection of Jesus. These words, and there's so much more to be said. As I mentioned before, 113 times the idea of baptism is discussed in the New Testament. All we can do is take a portion of these scriptures and just look at it to come to a greater understanding. 
But these words, immersion, comparison, salvation, sanitation, interrogation, resurrection, these can help us to see more clearly why God brought baptism to this earth, why he has made it part of the salvation uh, process. In this folder, if you'd like to have a copy of this, you can come get one following dismissal this morning, but I just want, to, want you to know what's here. This little sheet that says, uh, baptism stands between the sinner and the sinner and. Baptism stands between the sinner and becoming a Christian. Baptism stands between the sinner and a new relationship with God. Baptism stands between the sinner and being saved from sin. Baptism stands between the sinner and being born again. And it's got 25 of these statements with the scripture reference right next to it. Baptism stands between the sinner and. Please come get one of these following uh, services. Just wanted you to be aware of, of that. Right now we will stop and consider ourselves before God. And as we do, think deeply and soberly with me that the first statement Peter makes as we read the paragraph from him is, Christ also suffered for us. Are you looking? Are you thinking? Are you feeling? How do I know that I have responded to the love of Jesus? How do I know that I have properly submitted to his will. Well, we've been trying to help with that uh, this morning. Think about the fact that God is the one who brought this subject to us. We didn't create it. It's not part of our tradition. It's not tradition for us. Okay. We would have never thought of this. It's God that has brought water uh, in the process of his plans. He has brought it to us. There are some here that need to seriously consider this. There are some who have been baptized, but not for the proper reason, not for remission of sins. There are some who have never been baptized. Some, have been, some of you have been told that this was really uh, just something symbolic and it just, it just doesn't really mean what uh, you think it means. But time is passing. Eternity is before us. And we need to look at God's word and let God's word direct our lives. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Indeed, he can do that and he wants to do that. Will you come this morning as we stand, as we sing together?